So, a couple of questions here. Is aspiration not chanda type aspiration? The same as becoming bhava. If no, how do they differ? If yes, then what can one do to make aspiration and not make it into bhava tanha? You know, it's like, what do you, what do you need to uh, keep motivated, to keep a uh, sense of edge, sense of uh, uh, aim, you know, relevant aim. And what also gives one the sense of, uh, you know, however long it takes, it's good, there's some sense of faith, confidence. Um, one can, you know, even when the things are difficult, <coughs> one can uh, keep going and uh, have a sense of um, purpose, motivation. Now, I don't quite know what the words are here. Chanda generally means some kind of motivation, can be unskillful or skillful, but it's uh, it's considered one of the four, what are called the idipadas, which are the four bases of any any um, success or strength. Chanda, virya, jitta, vimanksa, chanda, motivation, desire, virya, application of energy, Jitta, awareness, uh, and vimanksa, deliberation or analysis or understand, you know, scrutinizing, working, understanding the results. So, so that's considered those considered skills to be developed into strength. Chanda, a skillful chanda is not compared with tanha. Tanha is always like a thirst to have or become. It's like an emptiness that thirsts and seeks to fill itself up with something, to fill up with being something, becoming something, having something. Chanda is more like the urge to do, and clearly the two can get mingled. But uh, the sense of chanda is a necessary energy to rise up, you know, to make an effort to apply oneself, um, to direct the mind, to direct the heart, um, you know, to turn it away from certain interests and direct it in a, certain, in a way that's towards liberation, purity, freedom. That requires chanda. Aspiration here seems means something more like "May I be." Mm. Then it uh, gets more problematic. 
as long as it's kept open. That is, uh, you know, so the aspiration to, you know, uh, be free from suffering is a good aspiration. <laughs> keeps, you, gives, keeps you a sense of um, focus. Bawa is more, and these, you know, it's not something you don't really get beyond Bawa in day one or in the beginning. So there's, you can say, you know, a sense of becoming something, um, progress, becoming something. Yeah, first of all, that that's, uh, you know, you, you turn that towards, um, you know, becoming something in a good way. And then, as you begin to uh, you know, experience the results, then uh, the mind you know, has established some kind of foundation in in goodness, skillfulness, meditation. Then you can begin to see that there's to purify from the defect of uh, always looking for the next thing, the next stage. Yeah. So. So practice of samadhi has a certain bhava quality to it in that we're definitely aiming to make the mind steadier and you know get deeper uh, you know and push towards that and but then that's a necessary um, well you know necessary uh, cultivation in order to to um, get to the roots of the mind. So if you don't have that, then you're just always sk- skipping around in thoughts and activities and ideas. So something that really gets you to the roots of the mind, the roots of its craving, its resistance, its agitation, its searching for stability or security. And then you get that a little bit steadier and then you begin to use the insight practices or wisdom to uh, contemplate contemplation is just like place you know un- unpacking uh, the the experience this is all changeable uh, who is becoming anything anyway you know so the more that we penetrate the self view then becoming doesn't have much to land on because whoever whoever it's only a it's only an impression that one becomes something. You know, it's only an impression, only a superficial impression. When you come to citta, it doesn't really become anything. It, it just it rolls around, but it, doesn't, it never achieves uh, stability in any particular position, state, mind state. Um, it's always, uh, it's never achieved stability. It only, can only achieve release. Um, which is that sense of relinquishment of of um, positions, space and time. Now you can use aspirations, I guess, in in a kind of um, you know, like uh, in your daily life to make small resolutions. For example, may I, uh, you know, sort of aspire to be more patient with my my work or less anxious about um, 
results and jobs uh, may aspire to, you know, so you get some sense of you know, your daily life, which can be so full of all kinds of aims and goals that are being uh, presented. And so you substitute the performance aims and goals, or the uh, speed aims and goals, for may I uh, learn to live more peacefully or with purity. Then it's a helpful counterbalance to the other kind of senses of, of direction that we uh, uh, come across in our, in our lives. You know, it's always a because it's, it's always a tendency to become. Uh, you know, that, that's the that's that's the thing that everybody's doing, becoming somebody. Um, and so you, you know, it's become a better person, <laughs> uh, and then rec- recognize well that only goes so far, and if you drop beneath the personality, the personality level. And you can see this, you know, the states come and go. There's nothing really. What is there to. Who, who's going to become anything? What's that? So investigate uh, the sense of I, I am. Yeah. What's that? Is it a person? Is it a real thing? Is it something solid? Certainly something we experience. Uh, it's associated with uh, instability or um, searching or irresolution. It's searching for something. It's always associated with an action. I do. Yeah, it's associated with that. Now, if you just kind of let go of the actions, or see the actions are just um, kind of gestures of movements, really. What is the what is the basic inner quality of subjectivity? When you take the verbs away and the, and the positions away, it's just awareness. It's because some spiritual traditions call the awareness the, the greater self, you know, the big self, compared with the little personal self, which is one way of putting it. Uh, it can be problematic, but uh, you know there is a sense of the jitta can be liberated. There is something, uh, it's not really a thing, but a potential to be free from constantly doing and having and becoming and so on. And it's worthwhile to at least be able to frame that up as a, as a notion. And you see that everything lesser than that, you... Oh no, that's yeah, that's good, but it's still a lesser um, uh, achievement. So these things are then quite, you know, help can be useful at a certain point to uh, consider. Mm. An application, faith and energy. It really comes down to not just uh, ideals, but specific points. You, know, you apply yourself where where energy becomes um, wise. It's applying spe- to specific right now. <laughs> you know, my, you know, so how? Where does the mind get steadier? Where's the apply that? 
where does the mind settle? Apply energy to that, apply interest in that. And then that that's then you're coming much not just from aspiration, but from directing energy through wise uh, motivation. How do we have skillful mindfulness, or rather, more effective awareness towards sensations? I find my awareness is rather superficial. Dhamma Vijaya, investigation of Dhammas, he investigates sensations, and uh, it's really helpful to get the mind to express something. So, yeah, so we kind of ask questions to get the mind to come up with some kind of the real impression it has, the impression it actually has, the sensation, so you can get kind of a bit, gloss over it, but uh, sensation, if, you if you want to focus on a particular set of sensations, such as the sensations of breathing in and out, then um, just using a word like breathing in and out isn't adequate. Or the sensations, you want to get something like, is it warm, is it cool, is it sharp, is it big, uh, is it moving fast, is it trickling, is it pulsing, so you just, this is vichara, and vichara is an agent of uh, sampajanya and also of the general overall attitude of, it, of investigating um, uh, what, what's happening, this may help. Sensations are the quality of contact impressions. They're not, it's not the same as feeling, which is the quality of pleasurability or, or disagreeable. Sensation is a particular contact impression. Something touches. Yeah. So associated with the physical touch, contact impression. Uh, what's what is that? And you can use a palette, for example, the four elements: caloricity, how warm is it, how bright is it, earth, how firm is it, water, how fluid, how cohesive is it, air, how mobile is it. So if you, you can do that. And you'll notice that sensations are really rather ephemeral. Feeling is stronger. Sensations are very rather ephemeral. Feeling is the is the thing is the, is stronger. That's the thing that's more distinct yeah, and more useful. I think sensations are tracking sensations are quite good just to get your mind sharper and to keep you on the ball, as it were. You really follow. Uh, the, the, not just the vague idea of your body, but the the, tac- the tactile impressions that arise. 
So it it keeps your mind sharper and uh, stops just drifting off into thought, grounds you to that. Particularly walking, you know, it's the coarseness of that. And every sensation is slightly different. Pressure of the feet, uh, ending of the out-breath, sensations there. And it does give you, helps to bring the mind out of its dreamy uh, virtual realities that it spins around in or drifts off in, get directly to the sensation. So it's a, it's a, a samatha, a calming device, or a, you know, brings you into this. Yeah. Uh, but then what's um, more important in many ways is the quality of feeling because that's the picket where the uh, uh, one gets the reactions uh, yeah. and uh, that's where you get the pressure the push of unpleasant feeling and the pull of pleasant feeling and learning to s- get the mind to stand or to slip out of that push so it expands rather than being driven by the feeling it widens beyond the feeling the feeling is then something you know it's like your mind instead of being on the on the end of the pushing but being pushed by the feeling expands to include the feeling feeling is this way so you come into a quality of awareness that can embrace pleasant, unpleasant feeling doesn't go anywhere. Uh, so this is, um, so you can, you know, that's more useful than, the sensations are fine for just sharpening your attention and for deepening your realizations you want to uh, come to terms with feeling. So abstaining from killing cre- living creatures, how does one um, do that in terms of performing daily duties? For example, cleaning sweeping when there are ants crawling around in the rubbish that one is supposed to clean or sweep. Yeah. Well, established in, you know, establish the intention to refrain from destroying living creatures um, knowing that probably you will destroy living creatures but that's not your intention when you've got one of these big lumpy things uh, called bodies they do tread on things you get in the car and drive for sure you're going to squash some insects um, but you don't, get, you don't get in the car in order to go and smash as many flies as possible you know, so you don't, you're not sweeping in order to destroy ants. You try to go carefully around and gently. And if you see ants on something, you pick it, pick it up and shake it around outside, see if you can flick them off. You can do these things. You know. uh, and the whole uh, um, experience of insect life means you, you often have to, you know, look at prevent prevention. Uh, the insects getting in in the first place so using water most uh, kutis of mon- mon- monks dwellings in Thailand always have water around the water moats like a kind of a gutter 
filled with water so the ants can't get in. Generally what happens is a leaf gets on it and falls in, they get across that way. So they, they always do get in sooner or later, but you you have these things and you have... A, um, there's a rule, monastic rule, where you're not allowed to leave a, a bucket of water uncovered because if you do, then the mosquitoes may lay larvae in it. So if you have a open water, you always put a, a lid on it so no insects can breed in it. Therefore, you don't have the dilemma of destroying them. Um, generally, the water taps have got a, a like a like a gauze or a cloth cap around it so no insects can get up into the tap because they get up there you get sometimes you get slugs crawl up into the water faucet so you put something on that to stop the the creatures getting in <laughs> yeah and you sweep around the guti regularly to to make sure that you don't get a lot of brush growing up undergrowth growing up which creatures will live in you know, you always when you build a dwelling, you have to build it in such a way that you could drive a, a cart around it without any disturbing the vegetation. So you try to create get a clear space. So if the vegetation is too close, the trees are going to lean over, and creatures are going to drop on your kuti, or spiders are going to build webs across your kuti from the trees. So then you've got to, you know, mess them, you know, damage their homes in order to to keep your place clean so it requires a constant vigilance you know insect life and you know you, but still you, you end up you always kill you can't help kill them sometimes accidentally you know uh, and but then you look at your intention you know these precepts are are intentions and you realise that if you if you scrutinise them too closely as as kind of laws, it gets pretty difficult to to exist. <laughs> you know, destroying living creatures. Well, what about you know, I suppose plants? You know, or if you if you grow a carrots, you're still going to dig the soil, and that's going to you know uh, that's going to upset something or the other. Yeah. So even vegetables, you're bound to, you know, somewhere or another, something's going to get its home damaged if you, as soon as you touch the soil. So you think, oh my goodness, it's a very real moral dilemma. Yeah. A tapeworm, should you take medicine or just practice metta towards it? Mm. <laughs> you know, eventually the... the <laughs> Different kind of compromises have to be made to make it pragmatic, but you always keep that intention. You know, this is what I would like to achieve and result in. I'm going to make efforts to come to that. At least I'm not going to go around deliberately killing human beings or shooting dogs or something. Uh, but all the this is the uh, these are all conundrums because particularly when you uh, situations where. We've introduced creatures into countries uh, and then they've taken over because they didn't have any natural predators. So you get this, go to New Zealand, they're always possums is the big thing. You say the word possum in New Zealand and people start getting riled up because they 
somebody thought it was a good idea to bring possums over to New Zealand from Australia way back, 1850s, for their fur. Well, you know, it's like bringing rabbits to Australia in the 1850s. Well, you know what happened there. And so, uh, so the play, of course, the possums just spread all over the place and destroying trees. So it's constant war against possums going on. <laughs> so, on 80 million possums, there's only 4 million people. <laughs> and this, this kind of messing around with the environment <laughs> is uh, real, brings real problems. <laughs> with it so at least we you know try to sustain that intention and you really examine your motivations in what you're doing you try to be careful and respectful of life um, and then you you know you have to generally this you have to make some compromises somewhere It's possible to be aware and work fast at the same time. For example, work in the kitchen or menial work in business. Well, you can be aware of that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's not so much speed as compulsiveness. That's the issue. You know, so it's not speed itself, it's compulsiveness. When you, there's a compulsive, the mind is driven and there's no room to uh, reflect on it. Uh, you know, uh, and it's driven in such a way that we're getting, losing awareness in terms of respect for other beings, other people, we're getting snappy, irritable. Uh, we're losing awareness of our hearts, of our attitudes. Uh, sometimes your speech can go astray because you haven't really been aware of what, how you're emo- being emotionally affected. Mm. So, uh, you know, it's not speed, it's compulsiveness. Compulsiveness blocks emotional sensitivity. It blocks sensitivity. And if we're not insensitive, then you can say and do things that you regret. Uh, and uh, being sensitive to other people and also not aware of your own emotional uh, temperature. And then you're missing out on learning something, learning something about intention, what, what, uh, you know, know, and also missing out on bringing forth and really knowing a good intention because you're, you're witnessing it rather than just blindly acting. A lot of these compulsive actions are really old, old karmic habits. They're, they're not really associated with the job in hand. They're associated with things like hurry up and get it done, uh, go, uh, or uh, you know, or fear of being, fear of fear of falling behind, fear of not being good enough. Um, so they, there's certain compulsive qualities associated with anxiety, um, with insecurity, um, and, and so on. You know. Wow. So when you work is all work 
is so often associated with the end result. When you associate it with the end result, then everything before the end result is a blur. And that's the compulsiveness. Now, play means you're poised and aware in the present. It's associated with doing the thing well, not as a theory well, feeling agile, motivated, conscious, sensitive, ability to adjust. And it's very much present moment, um, attentive rather than future result. The mind is fresh, bright, and you can move fast in that. Play you can move quite fast in. There's a lot of joy in it. But generally we, we have to be quite careful about why we're going fast. You know, which you really need to go fast. Or is it just that habit? Rushing to the next thing. Bhava. Bhava tanha. Rushing to the next thing. Because in that rushing, we feel somehow we get we begin to get familiar with the rushing, compulsive mentality and attitude. And familiarity, that's what I am, you know. And it becomes a known and you, you you end up that becomes your mode of doing everything talking too fast thinking too fast um, creeps into everything so there's no poise and no clear uh, um, attention no wise attention no investigation no insight um, and sometimes even you know not exactly precepts but certainly insensitive behavior towards others can occur. So be careful. Why are you doing things fast? There can be something beautiful and joyful in that. Agile, flexible, playful. Or it can be just this uh, uh, compulsive performance driven mind state. And that's that's, going to be an enemy because you, you lose clear awareness in the present moment. It's always good to build to develop pauses, ten second pauses in what you're doing. Just to feel the momentum. And then stop. Ten seconds. That doesn't mean don't do it, it just means it's not, it's not a moral statement, it's just just change the energy stop, pause, 10 seconds take just long enough to take a breath an out breath feel your body what's important now ok so it's just like check, reset you can get these this isn't a major reset, it's just an energetic reset. You can do that in 10 seconds, 20 seconds. So the mind isn't in this blur of momentum. And momentum is the drive of tanha, bhava tanha, craving to get somewhere, craving to become, craving to achieve, craving to, in which there's 
there's very little mindfulness and awareness. Of course, you can do the opposite, get compulsive about doing everything really super slow to be more mindful. This is also, uh, you know, gets compulsive. So everything really slow because that means you feel you've become more mindful by doing everything slow, which is kind of a bit of a, you know, uh, then you, you know it's not really sensitive and responsive to the situation you're in. Do you need to go slow? Do you need to go fast? Why? What? What? What's? What are you doing? You know. And this imposition of, you know, self, a mindful self, super slow, the speedy self, effective, efficient, getting it done, is still the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, check these things. One thing I notice, uh, particularly in um, monasteries, but especially in recently in monasteries in in Thailand, just how much time you you wait. Yeah, you wait. Yeah. Wondering what's going on. When, who's supposed to be doing it? And when? And we're sitting there, waiting. So and so's coming. Okay. Wait. Five minutes later. Oh, he's not coming. Okay. So what then? You know, this is the you know, go this feeling your mind's going driving then Particularly around the meal, you know. It's uh, generally in terms of the actual act of eating food, uh, I, it takes me about you know, not gobble but fifteen minutes maximum to eat, eat food. Meal time is an hour and a half. <laughs> Most of it's waiting. <laughs> so you see these kind of, you know, things, these drives and this. You just, it's a meditation. You're just watching yourself. What are you supposed to be doing? What's happening? What are we waiting for? And is it somebody else? Is it me? Are we supposed to chant something or, or what? Or, you know, and then and somebody's kind of bumbling around giving a talk. You think, okay, I'll get that over with. <laughs> so constantly that pushing on that until you just, just give up. Ding! <laughs> Bell rings, right? <laughs> Do something. <laughs> but that's it's a workout, and uh, you, you realize if you're in, into this practice, is um, it's really good to um, you know generate 
forms or exercises in daily life that check the momentum of the mind. Yeah. As I was saying to somebody today, you know, set your phone so it goes off six times during the day, just at any old time. And when you hear the phone ring, you've got to stop and just pause and breathe out. And ask yourself where you are, what's happening, where your body is. move on so things that check the momentum mm. had a, a the, the office the monastery I was in the office they used to have this um, it's kind of an old old fashioned lock you know you get a long key and you stick the key in the lock and turn the key and you you go to because when you go to the office, you always go to the office to get something done quick. Because I've got to make a phone call, I've got to do some emails. You get the, and of course the door is locked. So you, <coughs> door's not <coughs> okay. So you, where's the key? Somebody's hidden it under a flower pot somewhere. So you get the key and you get the key locked. The key doesn't work. You know, you think, oh, let's get the key open, get the door, <coughs> and this damn thing. And there's a particular way in which you have to kind of hold, pull the handle out and then turn the key in a particular way and pull the handle just enough where the, the whatever it is, the tumblers in the lock would just engage with the key. And if you do it, it will open, you get the door open. You know. But you can't do that. You've got to pull the lock. Sometimes you spend 10 minutes just trying to get exactly the key to line up with the, you know, the tumblers in the lock. And... You know, Open, so the phone's ringing inside again. <laughs> it just, you know, puts that on. And I think one time they, they people thought, well, let's get a decent lock. So somebody went out and bought a lock for this door. Went, oh, we've got a decent lock for the door. And I, I took the lock and everything. I hid it because I thought the old lock's better. Because, <laughs> you know, it acts as that break on that <clears throat> movement of the mind. We don't want something that works too quick. You want something that, because, you know, what are we here for? <laughs> you want something that slows you down and checks you, you know, uh, and things like that. Doors, that, doorways that are, that are low, so you can't, you've got to bow to come in. Yeah, so, yeah uh, the, these are, Make life difficult, but uh, in monasteries you've got that, that you, you can play these things. And it's helpful, but in lay life, you know, you really got to look at setting up particular momentum breakers uh, uh, and pattern breakers. You know, because everything tends to run. The business model is to get a particular model running, regular time to, to, to switch it on. There we go. Non-stop. You don't want to waste any time. Non-stop and stop. You know, a certain hour stop, a certain hour start and stop. So you get into that, and eventually that kind of attitude kind of programs your life. So even if you, you know, you still work around that 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 idea. So when you've got a day off, still the sense of okay, it's seven o'clock. Let's get up. Eight o'clock. Let's get going. Have some breakfast, and then you're still in that driven state even if you're supposed to be enjoying yourself. So just taking taking 
breaking rhythm. Breaking rhythm is very important. Change your day. Go somewhere you don't know. Have no aim in mind. Wander around aimlessly. So, take slowly. This is all ways in which we work with the, our attitudes of mind. I remember one, one year I made a resolution to every, t- every morning at dawn just to wander around just as it was turning from dark into light. So it's a kind of soft, misty time of day. And normally I would come back from my, the morning chanting, morning meditation. I'd go back to my office and then start open up emails and do things you know so you know as the abbot and I thought well this year I will make this resolution for at least 20 minutes when I finish the morning puja just drift around aimlessly looking at the trees and feeling the grass beneath my feet looking at the birds and you know and just let myself feel like I don't know where I am you know aimless and open just to, just to check that this and that and then this and then that the way we structure everything in you know it's nine o'clock ten o'clock quarter past five structure everything in everything is labelled and just to come out of the labelling into an open space time is a construction of the mind don't believe it break it you know the mind creates patterns be careful. Patterns can be very helpful. Skillful patterns, helpful, but you know, just be careful. You can, in patterning, you can lose some of the immediacy, the spontaneity, the freshness, the insight, potential for insight into how the mind operates. And so have some loose, even in retreat, you know, some time when you just deliberately, you know, loosen up, and relax. Um, you know, moments of that and when you're a bit more spacious you know. so then, then you know you can return again and you del- think, okay literally now, is there an aim here yes there is let's get focus there and then there focus there and then right and now end of that relax open relax okay pick it up again so you don't get stiff uh, and um with structure, you operate structure and uh, use it, but don't get programmed by it all. Hmm. Talk about spiritual bypass and how to avoid, how to bypass the spiritual bypass. <laughs> Especially as it relates to the idea of the idea of not self. Mm, I don't know about that. The term spiritual bypass has been coined in, in re- relatively recently to to perhaps to um, refer to a syndrome whereby through. through absorption or through um, uh, generating a particular spiritual or atmosphere or practice 
we uh, emphasize certain aspects of our mind or our behavior or our environment which give us a feeling of security and uh, we are and but we ignore or uh, aspects of our behavior attitudes situations mind states that that don't fit in with that it's like a certain um, as I said, it's bypass. And I suppose particularly, you know, the, the inquiry into spiritual bypassing is, does meditation, you know, you get into some uh, pleasant mind state and uh, you, know, you can absorb into that, spend all your time absorbing that and feel you're enlightened because you don't go into situations where your buttons get pushed. As they say, you know, if you want to check out the enlightened, go and visit your mother. See what happens. <laughs> your family, you know, that's generally where your buttons are going to get pushed. And so, uh, uh, in general, uh, you know, I think this is always good to bring everything back to the test of the daily life. You know, so one can arrive at certain fortunate states of mind and they're not unfortunate, they're useful, they're agreeable, deep depth states of mind, but then, you know, you want to also check that. Have, is it, have you realized, is there anything been really released in terms of selfhood or is it just selfhood found another thing to, to hold on to? So then we, we try to make sure that we're aware in all, at all levels. So when, you're, when things are very still and quiet, you're aware of that. And then when you're in interactive situations, you're aware of what's happening there, whether you're getting edgy or impatient or dismissive, you're aware of that. Um, so you begin to check yourself against the whole range of, of light, living phenomena. And probably the, the most significant one is other people. Yeah. Because this is where, um, you know, uh, you can't always see your own stuff, but in relationship with other people it becomes clear. You know, that's the thing that affects us. And uh, we move by and, and uh, uh, so, so just, you know, so being careful that we don't form situations where uh, you know you, you can kind of distant, remove yourself from the presence of other people. By and large, I really, really, really strongly recommend practicing on one's own for a long period of time. It's always good to come back to you know the interactive, the inter- because then you, you, you get tested. And says selfhood. Yeah. On your own, you can kind of find yourself getting quite obsessive and setting things up so you're not getting your your edges knocked or your your buttons pushed. And make it that way, and even think you've got a right to. Um, and this is where we, you know, you, you you know, one does need the presence of other people. Certainly, Ajahn Chah never, almost never let people get away on their own. 
as always, the, the daily life was the main practice with arms round and sweeping and chores and, you know, working and uh, doing stuff, building roads. He's the road building crew. <laughs> so you think, I came here to meditate and, and go, go and break rocks and build a road. So he would never let anybody get away with anything, really. <laughs> and that's why we live in communities. That's why I live in communities and operate in, with other people. So my willpower doesn't, you know, create my obsessiveness, my willpower, my personal perspectives don't become, you know, the only thing that's, that's running. Always got to be counterbalanced, checked against the interests and inclinations of other people. And to me, this is, you know, quite uncomfortable at times, but on a certain level, but also I, I, I feel I trust it and I incline towards it because it does, I do recognize the, the you know, it does tend to check the bhava, the becoming, and the craving, and the, the me mine. And, uh, and release into something where you just open. Mm. And then whatever, on any level, it's all grist for the mill. <laughs>